verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's word. You may be seated. It's kind of a bitter, sweet moment listening to Byron uh, read scripture just now. They um, are finishing up all the medical training and medical work in San Antonio this month and going to be moving to North Carolina. And so their, their last Sunday is going to be with us in about two weeks. And so we want to make sure that we take every opportunity to, to bless them and, and to, to send them on their way with God's speed and to encourage them uh, to be as much of a blessing to the church that they're going to attend on the East Coast as they, want, as they were to this one here in South Texas. And uh, with that in mind, uh, we're going to pray right now, and we're going to, to be looking at this text that he just uh, read for us this morning as we think about our responsibilities as a church family when it comes to kiddos. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and join your hearts as we ask God to bless us. Father, we're grateful for all so many folk that come in and out of our lives, and especially for the opportunity that, that we, we have to, to draw close to each other as we, we, we strive with every fiber of our being to draw close to you. And we're grateful for the knowledge of, of their family and of their kiddos. And we ask you this morning, Father, to, to bless all of these families that, that, that have been a part of our church family and, and are starting in new phases with, with small babies. We ask for wisdom and patience and strength and joy and peace and all of the things that are requisite to, to helping children to recognize the beauty that is in your son, Jesus. And as we do this and think about it specifically this morning, we're asking, Father, for you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way, Father, that we are blessed and become a conduit of blessing to others. So bless us in this way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you were with us a couple of Sunday nights ago, we had what I consider to be one of the kind of the highlight Sunday nights during our calendar year, and that is our senior recognition night. And that's when uh, all of the seniors that are gradu graduating from high school are recognized for that accomplishment, and, and we do uh, a, a lot of intergenerational things with them. And I don't know about you, but one of my favorite times during that, that, uh, that recognition is when we do the slideshow. And during that slideshow, we take all of those kiddos and we put pictures together that show them when they were just born all the way to the time in the present where they are graduating from high school. And I can, you know, I sort of tell by the tears and the, the sound of sniffing in the audience that you're, that's your favorite time as well. But Cody does a great job and, and he brings these kids together and then when they graduate from high school we recognize that and we continue to press that relationship with them and we have all of these kids lined up on the stage and this last uh, time we did it, about two weeks ago, I remember sitting in, in, in the, the pews with Ellen and going, these, these kids are just so normal. They're just so normal. 
They're absolutely normal. They're, 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 they're busy with school plans and family activities and, and sports. And there's really only one thing that separates them and makes them different from most of their peers. And it's this, that for all of their lives, there has been a thousand-member church that has diligently pursued them to teach them how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and what it means to follow Jesus of Nazareth. One of the real big truths about our church is this one up here on the screen. A deeply embedded theological imprint on our hearts as a church is to introduce kids to the Christ through teaching and lifelong intergenerational relationships. I want to read that again. A deeply embedded theological imprint on our hearts as a church is to introduce kids to the Christ through teaching and through all of those intergenerational relationships that they build through all of the years that they're a member of this church family. About uh, 10 days ago, this is just a couple of days after that senior recognition, Ellen and I are sitting in the middle of a, a middle school cafeteria uh, late in the evening, it's, uh, it's about 7.30, 8 o'clock or so, and we are watching one of the middle school girls in our family here at Mac uh, in one of her performances. And we're enjoying ourselves, and it's, a, it's just a great, great thing to be a part of. But one of the really wonderful things, in addition to seeing this young girl perform, was we were surrounded by members of our Mac family here that were there for the same reason, to support and to love and to be a part of that kiddo's life. That's why we do this baby recognition every year. That's why we do this baby recognition this time every year. It's to remind the parents of the importance of their children growing up in the life of our church family in a way that fosters relationships from the youngest of our members to the oldest of our members. It's building a relationship not just with peers but with people that are older and uh, balding like me and those that are middle-aged and, and all of these different things. It's to remind us too that all of us play a part in encouraging faith in children. We all participate. Every one of us, we're all a part of it. Think for a moment what Paul says to the church in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you are members of what? God's family. Let's say that all together. You are members of God's family. Let's say it again. You are members of God's family. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. We are an imperfect church, and we're made up of imperfect people. I mean, hey, just look who's preaching to you right now. But that is what makes us imperfect, but loving. We, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We live in a fallen world. But we are God's family in that fallen world, which means that what we are about to study out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, even though it is aimed at, at the immediate family, it pertains to all of us who are part of God's family, who have relationships with small children in a world like this. Now I know, and I'm going to take out a step to the side here for a minute. I know it's really easy when you see something like family or marriage up on the screen for our single folk or our folks who haven't had children in their home for a lot of years to say, you know, to kind of bug out or to bail out a little bit and to say, you know, the sermon really doesn't apply to me, except Ephesians 2.19 says you are a member of God's family. We have a, a group of singles who, that, that I, I, just, I just love. Uh, we have a single young man, we have two single young women who every Wednesday night after a long day at work, they show up on the fourth floor 
And for months at a time, they're leading small groups among our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, teaching them about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is a phenomenal thing. And if you walk down our elementary wing and go up into the second floor and, and, and see that, that age group, what you're going to see are single folk, and you're going to see folk who haven't had uh, children in their home under their roof for a very, very long time. And that is a sign of health. When you have that kind of interaction in a church family like that. So again, what I'm going to be talking about over the next few minutes deals with the immediate family, with the moms and dads and kiddos, but it also pertains to all of us because we are a member of this church family. Now all we're going to do, two points this morning, it's going to be really simple, really quick. We're going to get back to basics. The very first basic truth I want you to remember is this. Make love for God the center of your life. Make love for God the center of your life. At the heart of our faith, at the heart of what we believe to be true about our faith and about God and about the universe as we know it, or in these words that Byron just read to us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What's the next word, church? Let's say it again. It's love. It's love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. If there's one truth that I want you to get this morning as it pertains to this, it's this truth. It's never too early to start modeling for your kids, for all of your kids, a love for God. When Jesus himself was asked over in the New Testament, what was the most important thing in life that that was at the center of what life was all about, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, known as the Shema, verses 4 and 5. Love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And when Israel did this during the time of Moses, when Deuteronomy was being written, when Israel lived this way, they flourished. And when Israel decided that they didn't want to live with love for God at the center of all that they do, what they began to do was to sow into their hearts the seeds of their own destruction. I ran across this this anonymous quote some time back. It's up here on the screen. I cleaned up the, (laughs) the commas a little bit. But this guy wrote, I love God. And no, I don't want to force it down your throat, but man, you're missing out. Can you say amen to that? The greatest good for a human being is to love God. The greatest good at the center of all of the good that we can have in our life, at the very center of that, at the core of that, is a love for God. Isn't it curious that Moses did not say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, make sure you get Leviticus right. Now, obeying the commands is incredibly important. That's what he says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. But Moses says that at the heart of life is a love for God. Now, why in the world is there all of this, this this, this all-encompassing love for God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength at the center of all of life. Well, the reason, as you know it and have experienced it already in your life, is that love leads to change. It love leads to transformation. When you think about it, it's love that directs what you do. Think about it this way. Uh, all of you who have known me for, for five minutes know that, that I have this incredible love affair with a certain kind of a pie. And if that love 
for a, a big old slab of pecan pie is greater than the love for maybe a little bit healthier life, lower cholesterol, less calories, then what do you think wins? The love for the pie. Or if you've kind of crossed over into middle age, like I have in the past 50, and you know that even though you love that pecan pie with every fiber of your being, that the love for lower cholesterol and health and a, and a healthy life and all of that, because that is so high, it trumps the desire to eat that piece of pie. Think about your marriages. Does, does a love for your spouse turn you into a better spouse? Does your love for your wife, your love for your husband, make you a better husband or wife? I mean, does it really work? And you hear this all the time. Does it really work for a spouse to say, I'm only going to change when they change. That hasn't ever worked. Does it, does it work when a spouse says, hey, you know, I'm only going to do the right thing when they begin to do the right thing? It doesn't work. You know what, what leads to a changed life? It's love. It's love for that spouse. It, it's, it's living a life because of that love for that spouse that is so profound and so great and so mysterious and so life-changing. It's that love that challenges you to be a better husband or to be a better wife in order to, to bless that person that loves you in, in, in that incredible way. And it's a changed life that glorifies God. It shows that God is the most precious of all of your treasures. That, that love that you have for God leads to transformation. It leads to a changed life that exhibits the fact that God is, is the most precious of all treasures that you have in your life. Now the same thing is true with children. How do you know that your children love you and are not just in agreement with you? How do you know that your kids really love you and are not just in agreement with you? You know that they are obeying you as long as they agree with the command, whatever it might be. But what happens when they disagree with it? You know what? I don't think that I want to clear off the table right now. Or I don't want to make my bed. They obey as long as they agree with the command. As soon as they disagree with the command, then the obedience is out the window. But if they love you, it's different, right? If they love you, and not just in agreement with you, but they love you, then it's different. You know, they might say, the last thing I feel like doing is taking out the trash, but you know what? I just really love my mom. I don't really feel in the mood to mow the lawn right now, but you know what? I love my dad, and he asked me to do it. I love him. In 1 John chapter 5, the Apostle John says, you know what? This is, this is what love for God looks like. This is love for God. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. You know, what, you know what love in a human being, a disciple of Jesus, looks like? It looks like obedience to him. And you know what? When you love the Christ, then his commands are not burdensome. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, Anyone who loves me will what? Obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So why is this important? This, this idea of making sure that love for God is manifested and exhibited and demonstrated in such a way that it, it comes out of the pores of your fingers when it comes to, to discipling your children. It's important for this reason. Kids need to be able to define what Christianity is all about. Christianity is more 
than sin management, a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity is more than obeying God in order to go to heaven because I don't want to go to hell. It's learning to love God as the supreme value of all of the universe, and we love God because of everything it means for Him to love us first. But then there's a second thing. Parents and church, when it comes to these little kids, make sure that they see and they hear this love for God. But then number two, seize the moments. Seize the moments. Here's the second truth to remember. You're teaching even even when you're not teaching. You're teaching even when you're not teaching. The eyes of those kiddos are always on you, and they're watching and observing and listening to everything that you're doing. And, And that's why point number one is so important. They are watching you, and do they see a love for God in your heart that transcends everything else? The point is that you're always discipling your kid, even when you're not discipling. But the question really is, what are you discipling them in? Well, there's a negative side and a positive side to that. Negative side first. Let me start with with, with dads. When children watch their dads, they watch their fathers speak in really belittling ways to their wives. You know, I'm never wrong. It's my way or the highway. You do it my way or... You know what I'm saying. When kiddos watch their fathers speak in belittling way to their wives and they don't serve them in love as Christ loved the church, they're discipling their sons into the next generation of male chauvinist pigs. Now we don't teach that But we disciple that if we're not careful. And we're also training our daughters to expect only that kind of thing from men. That's why Peter says over in the New Testament, husbands in the same way be what? Considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. You know, that's the dads, that's the husbands. What about the wives? Wives who are always nagging their husbands, need to know that husbands are not transformed by nagging. Nobody dare says amen. Ha, <laughs> somebody did. But he's a single guy. <laughs> but ladies, let me say it to you. What is the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and expecting different results. It does not work. Nagging is just saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you know what? The Bible addresses that. In Proverbs chapter 21, better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Go 10 verses later, better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Go to chapter 27 of Proverbs. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Don't get mad at me. I never said this. This is God. God God is saying to all of these wives who nag that he feels sorry for your husband. And he's saying, I know, I know, dude, here. Here's what I got planned for you. Sit on the corner of this house, and I'm going to make it rain on top of you, and that's better. Now, I'm not giving giving bad husbands a get-out-of-jail pass for free. There are a lot of fathers and husbands that need to pick up their game. But wives, think about what you're modeling for the kids when you do that. But there's a positive side 
Moses continues in Deuteronomy 6 saying, impress them on your children. This love for God and obedience to Him. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What Moses is trying to get all of these moms and dads during the time that Deuteronomy, you know, that 40 years in the desert when Deuteronomy was being built was to think about the lack of faith that got them into the, that got them, you know, kicked out of the promised land. They weren't even allowed to enter it. And what it's going to take to be the people of God as they enter into the promised land. And every day he's saying there are moments in that day when you seize the opportunity to talk about your children or to talk to your children about God. But you know what stands in the way? It's not desire. And it's, it's not motivation. I mean, we want our children to know God. We want our children to be blessed by Christ. We want our children to, to be seized and grabbed you know, by the Holy Spirit and convicted of, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. The problem is we've got to start looking at our schedules in order to see where that should be prioritized. I have a really wise uh, friend, uh, elder in the church out in California that says, his name's Lou Smith, he says, you know what, if the devil can't make you bad, the devil's going to make you busy. Meaning that, you know, you can have all the best intentions in the world, but if you're too busy to follow through, then you're not following through. You have to seize those moments when you can talk about God and what it means to be a follower of God and uh, just one little practical thing right here to think about you know the best time to do it is when the kids are trapped in the car the best time to do it is when the kids are, are, are trapped in the car and and when they're there man take away those gadgets at least for a little while and and and, and put in the tapes and and sing that's one of the things that's <laughs> One of the reasons why my children don't sing very well is because they used to sing with, with me. They, they got more of that gene from me than they did from their mom, who sings like an angel. But we, we just sang all the time in the car where those kids were growing up. All of those songs, we sang them all the time. My kids watch me as we pull up to a, to a stop sign, and if there's a homeless person, they, they see me you know, give them a dollar, and they see the way that I interact with that homeless guy or woman. I say, you know, uh, you know here's a little bit of something to help you out, and, and go get some food brother or sister, and, and God bless you. And if you're uncomfortable with giving the money, do what Linda Elam does. Linda Elam is one of the most compassionate people I know. She has in her, 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 uh, her vehicle, she has one of those center consoles, she has a couple of baggies filled, and, and I don't know everything that's in it. Uh, send Linda an email and ask her what she puts in those bags. She'll, she'll be glad for you to bless people this way. But she puts like a bottle of water and maybe some beef jerky and some towelettes and some crackers and, you know, stuff like that, pieces of fruit in this thing. And, and she gives it to the people that are hungry on the side of the road. And kids see that. And as they see it, they begin to understand that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is that we are generous with what it is that God has blessed us. That blessings don't stop with us. We become a conduit in which those blessings are passed to other people. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to, 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 to spend time with, with kids in, in a trapped, closed environment and to talk to them about what it means to be a disciple. You also take some of the bad moments. Um, about 14 years ago, I got to the high school to pick up my daughter, who was a sophomore, one of the high schools here on the north end of town. And when she got into the car with me, she was absolutely enraged 
I had never seen her that angry in my life. And she gets into the car, and she's just angry, and she just begins bawling. And, and I, I go, honey, honey, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she begins to tell me that as, as, as a, you know, you know my daughter, you know, when she's a sophomore, she weighed maybe 90 pounds, and, you know, she's four foot nothing. And she had gone to an elective class that day, and the teacher, which meant that there were upperclassmen in that class, and the teacher had walked out of the room for a few minutes, and two senior boys in that class, knowing that she was the daughter of a minister, of a preacher, began to say all manner of vulgar and filth about her to her face, getting the whole class laughing. And then they turned on me. They don't even know me. But they accused me in front of all of these kids and just getting the laughter going and going and going and making Jessica the, the target of all of that ridicule and all of that scorn and just got it, got it hyped up talking about uh, what kind of a person I was and what it really meant um, to be a minister, especially as it related to children, if you get the point. And she came out of that class and she was so upset at what they had said about her, but she was enraged about what they had said about me. And you guys know that as an ex-wrestler, the first thing in my mind, well, there, there's, there's a hold called the guillotine. <laughs> but this is a teachable moment. And for two hours, we drove, stopped at the Starbucks, and talked about how you deal with the meanness in the world. But then number two, and most importantly, to allow God to take care of it. That is, God's people, we don't seek revenge, but we allow God to take care of it. And when you're talking to a little sophomore girl whose heart has been broken and doesn't want to go to school the next day because of what she thinks everybody is thinking about her, that's a really tough thing to do. But in a week, both of those kids were suspended from school and we never ever saw them again. But the lesson was made. As a disciple of Jesus, there is a way to respond and to react to things in the world like that and to make sure that in our worldview it includes what scripture teaches us is the will of God and what is the responsibility of God in this world so there are positive moments and there are negative moments and if there's another truth that I want you to get as we close down right now it's this it's never too late to start leading your kiddos to faith there's a really peculiar passage in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that I think about often. Paul saying, you know, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And he's talking about that time period in the history of the world in which the Messiah was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. The irony, though, of that time when Jesus came is that it was the roughest, ruggedest, most cruel, brutal time under the Roman Empire in the Middle East. It was one of the most inhospitable times for the Son of God to come in the world ever. I mean, Judaism was a mess. I mean, they were fighting among each other. You had zealots, and you, and you, and you, had, you had Essenes, you had Pharisees, you had Sadducees. Nobody could agree on anything. They couldn't even agree on what the Messiah would look like and, or even how many Messiahs would come. And so when the Messiah did come, they, had, they struggled with even seeing him. At the same time, Rome is in power, and it looked as far as it could be in the Jewish mind for God to come through on any of the promises that you find in the prophets of the Old Testament. 
But into such a mess, in such a time as that, into such a mess came the miracle. Came the miracle. A child, a son, born of a virgin, who lived the life that we should have lived, but didn't, and who died the death that we should have died, but didn't have to. So that even in a world like this, the righteousness of God could be passed to us. That's the hope, is that if God's righteousness can come to me, it's never too late. It's never too late to begin pointing people to the, to the, to the author and the giver of that righteousness. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And perhaps there, there are some folk that really are struggling with, with, with uh, what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus of Naz- Nazareth or, or maybe struggling with, with other issues of faith or, or, or there just may be some things that you're hurting over in your heart that you would like our church to be praying about. Whatever those, those needs are, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we praise God together. Let's stand and let's praise God with outside voices. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus.